please, to the 118th Psalm. Please go in your Bible to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, as you turn there in your Bible, get ready to study. Let me just say that Sunday is my favorite day of the week. I love Sundays. I love the first day of the week because I get to come together with the best people on the planet, God's people, Christians, disciples. I enjoy worshiping with you so much. I love you so much. I appreciate who you are and what you stand for as the people of God. Believe it or not, but in just a few weeks, we're going to be wrapping up our daily Bible reading schedule. Remember this year as a congregation, we've devoted ourselves to reading the five books that make up the wisdom literature portion of the Bible. And I don't know about you, but for me personally, I have thoroughly enjoyed this reading. I have thoroughly enjoyed reading through the Proverbs and the Song of Solomon and the book of Job and Ecclesiastes. And I have especially enjoyed reading through the Psalms. I've especially enjoyed reading through the Psalms because the Psalms are just so rich. They're just so rich with valuable information that we need to help us in our relationship with God. They tell us exactly who God is. They tell us exactly how God feels about us as his people. They tell us that even though God is so great, even though he's so awesome, even though he's so amazing, even though he's way up here and, and we're way down there, he still loves us. He still cares about us. He still knows exactly where we are and our little spot in the world. And he's our shepherd and provider and redeemer and our ultimate source of comfort. The Psalms tell us exactly who God is and they also tell us exactly how to properly respond to God. They also tell us that because God is our shepherd and our provider and our redeemer, we should worship him, Psalm 99. And we should stand in awe of him, Psalm 33. And we should praise him, Psalm 117. And we should trust him, Psalm 37. And we should also be extremely thankful towards him, Psalm 118. We're going to be reading Psalm 118 very soon in our Bible reading schedule. And if you don't mind this morning, I want to go ahead and help you with this one. I want to go ahead and help you check this one off on your list. I want us to read the entire 118th Psalm. I want to make a few comments about this Psalm. And then that's going to be our lesson this morning. In Psalm 118, beginning with verse number one, follow me here as we just let the Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. The Bible says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. All let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. All let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. All let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. 
They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I should give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you've become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in his eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. I want you to really take a moment or two and just let those verses really immerse themselves in your hearts this morning. I want you to ponder very carefully on what the psalmist is saying there in those verses. I want you to notice how in those verses, the psalmist doesn't just tell us to have gratitude. He doesn't just tell us to be thankful. He doesn't just tell us to, to have a joyous and, and thankful attitude towards the wonderful blessings of God. But he also tells us why. He also tells us why we need to have gratitude. He also tells us why we need to be thankful. He also tells us why we need to be thankful towards the blessings of God, not just during this season, not just during this season when families are, are gathered together to eat turkey and, and watch the Dallas Cowboys, but we need to have a spirit of thanksgiving every single day. Every single day we are blessed to be alive. The psalmist says we need to have a spirit of thankfulness towards the blessings of God. We need to be thankful towards God all the time because according to what he says, God is good. God is good. This is the great truth that is announced in the first verse of the psalm. This is the great truth that is announced over and over again in the Psalms, over and over again in the Psalms, we learn from the inspired writers that God is good. We learn this in the most, fa in the most famous Psalm, Psalm 23. We learn it in Psalm 31, Psalm 34, Psalm 84, Psalm 86, Psalm 100, Psalm 107, Psalm 143, Psalm 145. Just go home today and just do a word study of just how often the goodness of God is mentioned in the Psalms. And I promise you, you're going to be blown away. 
You're going to be absolutely amazed. You're going to be absolutely blown away if you go home and do a word study of just how often the goodness of God is acknowledged in the Psalms. In fact, not only is the goodness of God acknowledged in the Psalms, but it's also announced in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus talked about the goodness of God in his preaching. Look at Mark chapter 10, please. In Mark chapter 10, if you remember when Jesus was approached by a rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says that this young man came to Jesus and he knelt before him and asked, good teacher, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to know what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to inherit everlasting life with God? And Jesus said to him, why do you, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Notice how in that verse, Jesus, Jesus announces the goodness of God. He, he announces the goodness of deity. He wants this rich young ruler to understand that by calling him good teacher, he's also calling him God because only God, only God is truly good. Only God is fully good. Only God is truly good and fully good because the psalmist told us the loving kindness of God is everlasting. That's what he says all throughout Psalm 118. The loving kindness of God is everlasting. When the psalmist says the loving kind kindness of God is everlasting, he, he means that there is never a time when God does not love his people. There is never a time when God doesn't care about his people. There's never a time when God's not watching over his people and providing for his people and protecting his people. This is exactly what we see when we study carefully God's dealings with the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. This is exactly why God delivered the Israelites from hundreds of years of Egyptian slavery. It's also exactly why he fed them miraculously manna while they wandered in the wilderness and why he helped them defeat their enemies in Canaan and why he blessed them to prosper even while in Babylonian captivity and why he blessed them to be restored to Jerusalem once the captivity was over. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God's loving kindness is everlasting. God always loved Israel. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is good. And you know what else is good? Well, God's creation is good. The sun is good. The moon is good. The stars, the trees, the plants, the oceans, the rivers, the lakes, the land animals, the sea creatures, marriage, work, Human beings who've been made in his image. All of these things are good. They're good because they were created by God. Didn't we learn that in Genesis chapter 1? Remember in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 31, after God has ceased from his creation, after he created everything in six literal days, the Bible says that God looked at all the things that he had made and he didn't just say it was good, but God said it is very good. It is all very good. God's creation is good. And you know what else is good? Well, God's faithfulness is good. 
God's ability to keep his promises, that is good. And God's answer to our prayers, whether we like those answers or not, those answers are good. Those answers are always in our best interest. And God's holiness is good. God's desire to stay completely away from sin, that is good. And God's righteousness is good. And God's instructions given in the Bible, guess what? Those are good. Oh, yes, that book you have this morning, that book is good. This is something that the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, they failed to understand this. They failed to understand that God's instructions are good. His instruction to stay away from that forbidden tree, it was good. I submit to you that at the core of Adam and Eve's sin, at the core of their failure to submit to God's instruction to not eat from that forbidden tree, was a failure to, to believe this right here. It was a failure to believe in the goodness of God. It was a failure to believe that God's love is good, that God's instructions are good. I think we see that clearly when we stop and really pay close attention to that conversation that Eve had with the serpent. Remember, after spending some time Talking with that serpent who was the devil, the scripture says that Eve, Eve started to believe his lies. Eve started to believe that, that maybe the devil is right. Remember, maybe God is holding out on us. Maybe God doesn't really know what is best. Maybe God is trying to rob us of something that will make us happier and more satisfied in our lives. I submit that at the core of Adam and Eve's failure to obey what God has said was a failure to trust God. It was a failure to believe in God. It was a failure to trust and believe in the goodness of God. They failed to believe and trust in the goodness of God's instructions. The question is, what about you? What about me this morning? What about us? I mean, as we gather together to worship God, do we really believe in the goodness of God? Do we really believe in the goodness of God's book, which is the Bible? Do we really believe in that God's goodness and God's love? That's behind every instruction that's found in God's book, which is the Bible. Do we believe that God's goodness is behind everything he tells us to do? Or like Adam and Eve, do we believe that God's holding out on us? Do, do we believe that God's instructions are really designed to rob us of having fun and pleasure and satisfaction in life? Let me tell you something, my friends. If we believe that God is in heaven and when he gave us the Bible, he was thinking to himself, well, you know what? I just want to make these people miserable. I just want to make them miserable in their lives. I don't want them to have any fun. I want to rob them of any kind of pleasure and satisfaction. If we think that that's what God was thinking when he gave us the Bible, then we just don't know God. We just don't know the God of the Bible. We just don't know that behind every instruction God gives us, there's nothing but love behind it. There's nothing but love behind his instructions to stay away from sex outside of marriage. And stay away from alcohol and divorce and pornography and picking worldly friends. 
God's love and care for us is behind every one of those instructions. God is good. God is trying to help us. God loves us. He knows that if we listen to him, not only will we avoid experiencing many of the pains and hardships in this life, but we're also going to be put on a path to receive real life. We're also going to be put on a path to receive eternal life, spiritual life, that's what's going to happen to me and you when we study the word of God and apply what God says to our lives. We need to be thankful for the goodness of God. We need to be thankful that God is not like Darth Vader from Star Wars. He's not evil. He's not part of the dark side. He's not cruel. He's not wicked. No, he's good. He is good in every sense of the word. He is good, not just some of the time, but all the time. All the time, God is good. We need to be thankful for the goodness of God. And then secondly, we need to also be thankful for the refuge of God. The refuge of God. I don't know if you've noticed this or not as you've been reading through the psalm, but this word refuge is found all throughout the book. Have you noticed that so far? Have you noticed just how often the word refuge is found throughout the Psalms? It is found over 40 times in this book. In fact, I firmly believe that when this word refuge is used over and over again in the Psalms, there is a point behind it. I believe that the writers are pointing the original audience back to the cities of refuge that are prescribed in the law of Moses. Do you remember the cities of refuge? Remember under the Old Testament law of Moses. If an Israelite happened to kill another Israelite, they could travel to one of six cities of refuge that had been evenly dispersed throughout Israel. Remember, there were three of these cities on the west side of the Jordan. And there were three of these cities on the east side of the Jordan. If an Israelite happened to kill another Israelite, they could seek protection and asylum in one of these cities from the distant family members of the person that they killed. These distant family members were called the Avengers of Blood, while in the city of refuge, the priests, the men of God, would listen to the case of the person who had killed someone, and they would determine whether or not if they really committed murder or if it was what we call today manslaughter. Now, if they committed manslaughter, and they happened to accidentally kill someone, well, you know what they could do? They could continue living in that city of refuge until the day they died or until the day the high priest died and the avenger of blood was called off. The avenger of blood could not touch them, but if they actually committed murder, if they killed someone with evil malice, with evil intent, well, they would then be kicked out of the city of refuge and they would be subject to the avenger of blood. They would no longer be able to receive protection or asylum in that city. The cities of refuge are an interesting provision that, are, that is found in the old law. They are actually symbolic for what God's people found in him then and for what they find in him today. You see, my friends, in a world where so many people are trying to find refuge and security and protection and money, 
and stuff and government and political parties and political leaders and even the military, the Bible says that for those who follow God, their ultimate refuge, their ultimate security, their ultimate protection is found in God. Is found in Jesus, is found in the Lord. Look back at the text again. We go back to Psalm 118, verse 5 says, verse 5, from my distress, the psalmist says, distress is problem, suffering. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. Verse 6, the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What will man do to me? Verse 7, the Lord is for me among those who help me. Verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord and to trust in man. Verse 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in what? Princes. Princes. Do these verses, do these verses describe you? Are you living these verses right now as you travel through this dark and sinful and ugly world? Are you seeking refuge in God? Are you seeking protection in God? Are you putting your complete trust and security in God? Or are you doing like what he talks about at the end of verse number eight and nine? Are you putting your trust in men? Are you putting your trust in princes? Do you think that princes can bring you peace and security in life? Do you think that princes are messiahs? Are you constantly absorbed in the colors red and blue? Do you think that if we had more red states or more blue states, well, then the world would be so much better? This country will be so much better. America will be so much better. Perhaps people will be become more moral. Perhaps the environment will be cleaned up. I wouldn't have to be stressed and upset and worried all the time. Is that your mindset as you travel through this life? I hope it's not. I hope you're not absorbed in the colors red and blue. I said I hope you're more absorbed and Jesus and the cross. I hope you understand that while princes or political leaders do make important decisions that affect our country, they are not where our trust should be. They are not where our hope should be. The Bible says our trust should be in God. Our hope should be in God. God is where we should be turning for refuge and security, not princes. You see, unlike the princes, unlike the political leaders, God won't ever disappoint us. God won't ever make a promise to us that he won't keep. God has no limitations. God knows everything about us. He knows us on an individual level. And guess what? He actually really does care about us. He actually does really love us. We can actually talk to him at any time we desire. He is truly all powerful and he's always sitting on the throne. He's never taken out of office. The Bible says that we need to be thankful all the time because God is good. And because he's our ultimate refuge. But let's close this by also saying we need to be thankful all the time because of God's salvation. 
God's salvation. Look back at the text one more time. In verse 14 of Psalm 118, he says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. In verse number 21, he says, I shall give thanks to you, for you've answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected, he has become the chief cornerstone. Verse 26, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Do you see what all of these verses are talking about? Do you see the connection between all of these verses? Do you see where all of these verses are pointing to? All of those verses are ultimately pointing to Jesus. They're pointing to Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is the one who was rejected by the children of Israel, but he became the chief cornerstone to the church, the kingdom of God. Jesus is the one who, when he entered into Jerusalem, the people shouted, blessed, blessed are you who come in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is what this is all about. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these passages, that's what we learn when we study our New Testament very carefully. In fact, not only is Jesus the ultimate fulfillment of those verses, I submit that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of everything in this whole chapter. He's the ultimate fulfillment of everything we've talked about this morning. He's the ultimate expression of God's goodness and everlasting loving kindness. What he did for us, because of what he did for us at Calvary, we should never, ever in our lives ever find ourselves questioning God's love for us. I don't care what we go through in our lives. I don't care how rock bottom we ever get. We should never sit around and be saying to ourselves, well, I wonder if God really loves me. I wonder if God really cares about me. Let me tell you something. Only a God who truly loves you at the highest level would give you his perfect son who's been with him from eternity to die on a cross at the hands of evil men. Only a good God would do that. Only a loving God will give his son to take care of our sin problem. God, God's ultimate goodness or ultimate expression of his goodness is found in Jesus. And Jesus is also the ultimate place of our refuge. He's also the ultimate source of our spiritual safety and security. Despite the many sins that we've all committed in our lives, we can experience the protection that comes from God when we are part of his flock. God's goodness is found in Jesus. God's refuge is found in Jesus. This psalm is constantly pointing us to Jesus. It's constantly pointing us to the Messiah. It is constantly pointing us to Jesus, who is the source of our salvation. It is announcing to us loud and clear that our greatest blessing in life is not that turkey that's going to be found on the table on Thursday. It's not that dressing. It's not that cranberry sauce. It's not our family. It's not our friends. It's not being able to be citizens in the greatest country in the world. It's not our homes. It's not the money in our bank account. It's not our physical wealth or our physical health. Instead, it's Jesus. It's a salvation found in Jesus. It is the blessing that comes 
with being able to be part of his church that he built, and he's the chief cornerstone. The psalm is ultimately about Jesus. It is telling us that we need to be thankful for Jesus. Not just during this time of the year, not just Thursday, not just during the season of Thanksgiving, but every day. Every day we need to be thankful for the goodness of God, the refuge of God, and the salvation of God in Jesus Christ. And I realize, I realize there's a lot more we can say about this psalm. I realize there are many other verses, and we can stay here three more hours talking about this psalm. But I just hope these three things right here will bless you. I hope they'll bless you. I hope they'll bless your family. I hope they'll help you be mindful of the things that really matter most in life. In fact, maybe there's someone here this morning and you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to experience the ultimate expression of God's goodness. You need to get into the protection of God, experience the spiritual refuge of God. You need to experience the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. If that describes you this morning, then we certainly want to help you with that. We certainly want to take your confession if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And it will baptize you this morning for the remission of your sins and you can enter into the salvation of God and refuge of God. And if that's your desire this morning, then you don't wait any longer. Come to the front. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Have a no